What's the most important resource that you have? If you really thought about this deeply, I think you'd come to the same conclusion that Joey and I did. It's time. In our newest book, Wealth Without Wall Street, The Three Steps to Financial Freedom Through Passive Income, we talk about how are we tracking that time? Well, what is the thing that we can do to get more of that time back? That's right. If you've ever been listening to our podcast and thought, man, it would be amazing if I could take all the things that you guys have learned over the last 10 years and just summarize them, put them in some way to easily digest them and take action, that's what this book is all about. You're not going to want to miss it. Go to wealthwithoutwallstreet.com forward slash new book and get your copy today. Stallion, it's New Year's week, man. Whew. I'm excited. It's a new year, man. 2022. Hey, tell me what happened in 2021 that you were most excited about. Man, I think the number one thing, and by the way, all my Christmas ornaments reflect this. I got an RV and took my family on three weeks, uninterrupted time to be together. And I mean, that to me was financial freedom summarizes the freedom to be able to leave for three weeks uninterrupted. You said all your ornaments reflect this? Well, any ornament that I've received thus far has been a, a picture of an RV or of, you know, in fact, you you got me a Christmas gift that was a sweatshirt that said Cousin Eddie's RV Maintenance. I mean, this is the theme of the year for me. You have now become Cousin Eddie RV. <laughs> exactly. All right. So tell me one thing that you're most looking forward to in 2022. I think for me, 2022 is going to be a lot of investment into my older daughters and helping them to navigate into their own strengths. For instance, uh, my oldest is really fired up about land flipping. She's already got two properties and she's on her way to selling those. I'm going to really invest in helping her to get that business off the ground. And then my my 13-year-old daughter just helping her to spend more time thinking about what is she really good at? What is she, how is she made up? How has God really gifted her in a way that she can give back to the world around her? Those are things that I really want to spend some time on. What about you? Love it. Well, we'll hold on to that. I don't want to waste everybody's time on this, but I want to kind of, I think that it was great to kind of recap what happened this year, thinking about the future and I hope as you're riding down the road, you're running on a treadmill, whatever it is, as you're listening to this podcast, that this year has been an amazing year for you. I hope that you have found opportunities to get closer to passive income, exceeding your monthly expenses. And that may be just that you've started listening to this podcast and you've made yourself aware. Your reticular activating system now is supercharged and is pointing out things to you. Maybe you started your infinite banking system this year and now you have a place that you're storing cash is going to give you that opportunity to take advantage. Or maybe you took your first, you know, deep dive into something and you now have, you know, hundred dollars a month, 500 a month, a thousand dollars a month coming in and passive income that you didn't have before, whatever it is for you. I, I just want you to reflect on that and then build off of it for, for next year. We're going to be doing um, some upcoming uh, podcasts talking about personal goals, talking about what, how to plan in 2022 and the things that you can do to, you know, not only um, get one step further, but hopefully get to financial freedom and give you some hacks and some things that we're doing and we've done 
to do that. But I just want to set you up. Last week, we we shared a, a really sweet interview with one of our mentors, Nelson Nash, somebody who wrote the book, Becoming Your Own Banker, who is tremendously and instrumental in our lives, Joey. And we, we had a second interview with him. And I think it's only fitting that we share this interview, which is really around family banking, since you and your talk there just shared most of the story about your family. Yeah. If this doesn't get you fired up about the future possibilities, like obviously the immediate need is for you to gain financial freedom. Like we want this to be a time you invest in you getting there. But once that happens, I want you to think about the legacy that follows behind it. And that's what Nelson's really talking about in this episode of how he built that place for his family to constantly be able to come back to never needing a bank again. Like imagine that for one minute, what that would feel like if you were the person to set in motion that sort of legacy. That's what gets us fired up about this conversation with Nelson. All right, let's let's jump into this interview we did back in May of 2018 and hope you enjoyed as much as we have. Have an amazing new year. Welcome to the Wealth Without Wall Street podcast, your guide to understanding how to get out of the Wall Street rat race and start your own mailbox money lifestyle. Now, don't let these handsome Southern draws fool you. These financial minds are teaching our country to enhance savings, increase cash flow, and create passive income, all without the help of Wall Street. Are you ready to break through? Now here are your hosts, Russ Morgan and Joey Murray. Welcome, welcome. This is the Wealth Without Wall Street podcast, episode 33. And Russ, we have a huge opportunity today, a huge celebratory day. I think so, Stallion. We went over 10,000 listeners, 10,000 downloads just the other day. I mean, I'm like I'm shocked by that. <laughs> I was sitting there looking at it and even more shocked that we had like almost 150 people listening on Mother's Day. That is amazing. Thank you for being willing. <laughs> I'm assuming it was moms who were really financially right. like motivated and driven. And they're like, you know, today's my day. I've got some peace and quiet. And so I'm going to go listen to the Wealth Without Wall Street mindset breaking show. <laughs> well, thank you guys so much for listening and I hope you're getting continuous value here. Today, we're not going to slow down that value. We're going to have another great speaker, actually his second time being back on the show. We're welcoming back. Obviously, our mentor, Nelson Nash, we had him in studio a couple of weeks ago. We just felt like one show is not enough. So we let him keep going and we were able to get more thoughts from him, more ideas, we got a little bit into like what he's doing with his family and what he's done over the years, which I think would be great for this show. Just the wisdom that comes out of the books as he's written, you and I, you know, conversation constantly. And there's there's many of you that haven't had a chance to go to one of his seminars, which he doesn't, you know, he used to do 50 or 60 of these nationwide. He no longer travels. So if you didn't get a chance to hear him, you know, in person. We wanted to share him with you because it is so valuable, the life lessons this guy has imparted on us. And I think this episode is going to be a great way because we've got to think about our thinking. That's his big thing. Oh, yeah. He uses words like ruminate. And those type of things just really challenge me to say, we don't slow down. In fact, this seems kind of weird, but you know, you and I sat down 
probably partly because of what he said and said, we need to just set a day to plan, like to think about our business and to get outside of it and plan. But that also challenged me to think, why don't I do that with my family? Now, right? you, you used to do that, right? Yeah. Years ago, my wife and I would actually set aside a day every six months or so. And we had a, a little format. We would think about our marriage. We would kind of evaluate our marriage, evaluate our walk with the Lord, our parenting, how we're interacting with our family, like all these key kind of components of our life. And it was so rich. And you know what? And every good thing you get busy, you stop doing. And you got to go back to that. I'm challenged. I'm, I'm going to go back to that. And I think that'll be really, really rich for our family to, well, to I, do I that. did that, you know, last year on our anniversary, Megan and I got together and we did the conversation where we said, what's the dangers in our life, right? What are the threats to our marriage, to our family life? What are the opportunities we have within our family? And what are those strengths? And how are we going to maximize this over the next three years? And I haven't called back and looked at that. So I'm pondering, as Nelson uh, likes to say, there's he, other he words. says we need to ruminate, we need to ponder. <laughs> You're going to hear a lot of that on this, on this episode. That is a challenging thing, to slow down, to take time. And as we kind of get into different things, you and I are reading this book right now, The 10X Mind Expander. Yeah, Dan Sullivan, The Strategic Coach. Which one of his things is that really when you are thinking 10X, when you're no longer trying to go twice as hard is what, you know, we tend to be taught as entrepreneurs, as self-employed business owners is to, we want to increase our incomes, we want to grow our business, we want to help more people, but we just need to go harder. We need to work not 60 hour weeks. We need to work, you know, 80, 90 hour weeks. <laughs> and that's not the way. Yeah, he pokes connects. holes. He pokes holes all in that and says, challenge yourself to get the 10x, not just double your income or double your revenue or whatever it might be. But that means pulling out of things, right? That's, right. That, that's actually giving yourself more time and to take and to ponder on the things in life that's important to us, whether it's our families, our marriages, our businesses, the way that we're going to grow in our Lord, whatever it is, we've got to take a step back let things slow down. Nelson Nash is great at telling us about the noise that <laughs> that's right. It's always, you know, preventing us from achieving our objectives. That's the Wall Street mindset. Keep us busy at work, right? We've got to stop. We've got to ponder. And I think this is a great episode. I know you're excited to hear it. So let's go ahead. I want to get to this interview. Nelson, we are so glad to have you back in the studio today to share with us a great topic. So many of us are asking is, how can we create generational wealth within our families? And you've done such a great job. We just want to spend some time with you today talking about that topic. So thank you for being here. Oh, my pleasure again. Thank you for the invite. Absolutely. Nelson, Joey and I have got on here several times and talked about how we've used these insurance policies within our families, how we've borrowed money from our parents, how we've lent money out, and some positive experiences we've had with that. But our, our experience is short. We've only been doing this for nine years. Mm -hmm. Your time is a little bit longer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Kind of take me back to the first time you thought about, well, this is something we ought to be applying in our family. Not only just personally in our in your immediate family, but with kids and grandkids and so forth and so on. Take me back to what those thoughts were like and how that idea even came to mind. I'm thinking of time frames here. Uh, let's see. We were married in uh, 
to 25 years at 77. We uh, took off a month and uh, went to uh, Europe to just travel. And we bought a uh, Volkswagen Scirocco, a little two-seater or whatever. Uh-huh. We bought it from the dealer here in Birmingham and it delivered to, to us in the factory in um, Germany. It dawned on me that, you know, that's going to be my business car here. Uh, we need to learn to keep this sort of stuff in the family. Don't let it get outside the family. So uh, we've been teaching uh, all of our children how to think this way and to make plans of being uh, your own banker to, you know, a start-off degree, we'll put it that way. <laughs> so there was enough there that Kim, our baby, could buy the Scirocco and uh, lease it to us. Okay. Well, right. now you got you got back up a second. Yeah. People are listening saying, why in the world would you just have someone else buy it and lease it from them? Isn't that inefficient? Like explain why why you did that. Well, uh it all depends on who the characters in the play are. If you're leasing from somebody else outside the family, that's one thing, but within your family, that's another thing altogether. That's keeping it whole. Yes. That's the story that most folks don't understand at all. The biggest race riot that ever occurred in America was 1923 in Tulsa, Oklahoma. There was a black community there that was uh, uh, very wealthy, considering, well, relatively speaking, to the other folks in Tulsa. Well, it's a tragedy what happened, and over 300 people were killed in this thing. They used government airplanes to bomb this uh, section of the black community in uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma. It was known as the Black Wall Street of America. The Black Wall Street. Yeah. People get fixated on the tragedy, but they never discuss what caused this to come about. What was the genesis behind the, the riot? Well, uh, let's feature this. Here's this black community that is relatively wealthy. Does the word envy come to your mind? Oh, uh, yeah, Galatians, uh, the book okay. of Galatians. You know, I learned, I learned, yes, <laughs> I learned so much from Leonard Reed, you know. And Leonard wrote a piece one time about the Ten Commandments, and he said, probably the most important one that, other than rule number one, don't play God, was the last one, thou shalt not covet. Yes. Because from that, all kind of bad things can occur. I'm so envy. jealous of people that don't, that don't. Now, when uh, you envy. have this. When you're one of those people that envy, you don't want to build yourself up. Invariably, you want to tear other folks down. Right. So that's what happened. The, you and had, so that's what you happened. A group of people that were envying but, what was happening. So let's go back to why were these uh, folks so rich? And the truth was that money turned over 30 to 100 times before it ever left the community. Meaning they were keeping the business inside their community. They were not buying goods See, and services outside. Yeah. Now, you see, this is the absurdity of what goes on out there in the big wide world. I've never failed but one course in my life, and that was economics for chartered life underwriter studies. <laughs> you just couldn't answer it. <laughs> you knew the right answer, and, there, and, the, and, there, and the right answer was wrong. In okay, your book. so uh, let's go through the steps here. When you become a life insurance agent, uh, you must join life underwriters. Uh-huh. I mean, you're nobody. Now, once you get in there, one day you've got to become president of the local association. Otherwise, you're nobody. Right. Well, there's about five uh, steps there in the ladder. First one uh, is program chairman. 
then one of the other things that you've got to do is you got to have letters behind your name. Oh, yeah, yeah. If, if not- you don't have letters behind your name, you're nothing. So that means you've got to go through the Chartered Life Underwriter Program. Well, at the time I went through it, it was correspondence. It was two years, 10 parts, equivalent to a master's degree anywhere. But the text that they were using for economics, I was reading about the government taxes the economy $10 billion. That's money coming into the government. Now, the government's going to spend that money. It'll turn over three times, and so that stimulated the economy. Oh, yeah. And so yours truly on the final exam says, yes, that's true. But this is also true. Al Capone, the notorious gangster, he steals $10 billion from the American public. He's going to spend it. That'll turn over three times. That stimulated the economy, too. <laughs> Therefore, we need more Al Capones. Right. And they didn't see any sense of humor in that at all. No. And they flung me. Uh. Well, I took it over the course over and gave them their answers. And so I've got one of those diplomas. And that's the absurdity of what's going on. Well, why only three times? And the answer is, it's as obvious as obvious can be, but people don't think this way. Remember that fantastic little uh, video, Banking with Life? Got about 12 or 15 different personalities in it, and about the third one is Paul Cleveland. Right. We've had on the show before. Yes, sir. I know. And so uh, Paul is pointing out that wealth is not money. It's just goods and services, huh? Wealth is goods and services. Money is the medium of exchange whereby we acquire wealth. All right, let's go back to the black community there in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Here's a black guy that has a good that he wants to sell. Well, they find some other black guy there that would like to buy that. Well, they arrive at a a number between the two that they can do business. Well, how do they transact? The guy that buys gives a token that is generally accepted out there. It's called money to the guy who is selling. Now the guy that's got that coin, he sees something that he wants to buy. So the money was turning over 30 to 100 times. It never left the community. Well, contrast that by, why only three times? Yeah. Huh? Well, nobody ever talked about that. And so this is what I addressed in uh, last month's banknotes when I was talking about pondering. Why only three times? Well, I remember someone, and I wish I could remember who it was that brought me face-to-face with this, that we have real money and funny money, counterfeit money, running side by side. And people can't tell the difference between the two because they look the same, but they're not, you know. All right, now, goods and services are backing up the activities there. All right, so when one black guy does business with another, both parties win, don't they? Yes. Otherwise, they wouldn't do business. All right, free trade. But what is the general public's understanding of a business transaction? There's a winner and a loser. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, somebody has to yes, be winning. That is accepted as the truth, and it is not. It is a lie. Only time there's a winner and a loser is if you're doing business with the government. Well, well <laughs> why do people behave this way? And what it boils down is that that Tenth Commandment, that envy. They don't want to build themselves up. They want to tear other folks down. Sure. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, don't play that game. The human mind cannot think about two things at one time. It's impossible. So what you're saying is, is that through this keeping money in the family yes, is creating wealth. Exactly the same thing as the black community, except on the minuscule uh, area. But you yes, but to... you see, we're doing it through a community that is vast. That's what life insurance is. Okay, we got to distinguish between real money and uh, and funny money. All right. Okay. Break, break out your wallet, Joy. All right. Now, uh, what is real money? Goods and uh, services. All right. So, how did the black guy end up with that coin? He traded something for it. Yeah. He provided goods or services. All right. Well, that's real money. And the money was just a token of what actually took place. So uh, I'm going to go pick up my uh, tax report here right shortly today. I'm going to have to give the government money. Now, is that real money or is that funny money? That's going to be funny money. You're just going to be giving them a token, right? <laughs> I'm thinking it's How did I get the money? You sold books. You got or, paid for. Or I so- provided a service or I sold a, a good. That's right. So what is that? Is that funny money or real money? That's real money. That's real money. Now, has anybody ever made a check to Social Security? No. The check is made to the U.S. Treasury. Yeah. And they just Never to Social Security. They got some of those IOUs, some big ones. They want to hold on to this. So we give them real money. You know, I'm 87, Mary's 84. So, Russ, you're the government. Okay. Your left arm is uh, taxes. Okay. Let's get bigger, by the way. I'm going to get. I'm going to give. <laughs> oh God. I'm going to give you say uh, twenty five thousand dollars of uh, taxes. Okay, pull it up. Now you take that twenty five thousand dollars and you put it behind your back and you give it to your right arm, and that's Social Security, <laughs> and you pay me twenty five thousand dollars. Well, what's the result of that transaction? It's net zero. Yes, but what kind of money did they give me? They gave you funny money back. Yes. <laughs> they take real money, but they issue funny money. See, it's counterfeit money. You know, the government does not like counterfeiters because they don't like competition. <laughs> <laughs> and people take that and think nothing of it. I just read this comment. It was so drawing joy. I wanted to share it. I realized that my time is not really mine. It's my company's. Now I have to stop negotiating my time for money and I need to start working to become financially free. That's exactly how I felt when my daughter Adler asked me on the way to school, dad, can you pick me up from school today? And I had to say, no, baby, I have to go to work. That's where I drew the line. In order for you to be clear on the things you need to do and stop doing and to know who you need to become so that you can stop trading time for money. Join us right now at wealthwithoutwallstreet.com forward slash passport. Now let's get back to this episode. I mentioned that to my daughter one time we were talking about inflation and how that works. Yeah. She asked me, why is it okay for the government to do it? Why don't they go to jail? Exactly. Yes. See, they see that very clearly. Well, that's what's going on out there. And people just take that. Well, why is this happening? It's because of the way people think. Mm-hmm. See, that little uh, piece that Paul Rosenberg wrote about fish is the last and notice the water? 
down deep, most folks know something's wrong, but they don't have the emotional courage to uh, face it. So bring this back to the family bank. Well, okay. So it, it was obvious to me that I needed a car in my business. Why not lease from uh, somebody that's within our family? And by doing that, then you keep money in the family. Yes. Yes. So they would buy the uh, car and they'd lease it to me. And frankly, they'd charge me premium prices. They well, wouldn't give you a deal? It was a deal, all right, for them. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, I want to I take that part because I've had this conversation several times. As you know, my wife's a dentist. Yeah. And obviously, I, I would not go to another dentist. I go to her to have yeah. my teeth done. And when I tell people I pay my wife for this service, they always look at me funny. Yeah. And then when I tell people that we borrowed money from yeah. our parents for different things over the years, and I tell them how I pay them 8% or 10% interest, and they go, why would you do that? Help someone who's listening to this right now, help them hear why that is beneficial to them. Well, again, both parties there in any business transaction win. What you have is a microcosm. What you have is an aquarium. It's all self-sufficient there, and it never leaves your community. See, money has, has not left our family community in over 30 years. Wow. In relationship to the banks, you're not borrowing money from outside entities. Absolutely not. Life insurance is the device out there that's secured all this. So once we understand the difference between real money and funny money out there, I run into this guy named Joey Muir. And uh, that guy's in the life insurance business, and he convinced me that life insurance is a, a good thing to do. He says, uh, you got to find a starting place here to get involved in this, and so pick a number that you can handle and uh, so forth. All right, so Joey, let's say uh, $10,000. That's called a premium, isn't it? It is. All right, now, what am I going to give you? Am I going to give you funny money, or am I going to give you real money? Real money. All right. Now, the life insurance company has got to put that money to work in order to be able to pay that death claim sometime or another in the future. I am going to die. No question about it. Now, everybody else that does business with you, what do they give you, Joey? Is it funny money or real money? Real money. All right. Now, the, the insurance company puts that money to work. Now, if you go downtown Fifth Avenue and 20th Street, Birmingham, Alabama, there's four corners there, right? Three of those four buildings are either financed or owned by Equitable Life of New York. Hmm. So they take that real money and put it to work to build something like that. Now, how do they get money? They charge rent. Yeah, Rent. Well, what is that? Is that funny money? Is it real money? That's real money. money. All right. Now, do you see life insurance companies cannot inflate the money supply? And you just get to the simple fact that banking is. Has to happen. Yes. Now, Richard Cantillon, uh, 300 years ago, isolated that perfectly. Banking is. It's just that the banking function is the hands of the wrong people. Well, how'd they do this? Well, they trick people. (laughs) (laughs) So now you're in a transaction with your kids. They're buying cars and they're leasing them to you at what you're saying, premium rates, Yes, they're getting paid. That money is within the family. You guys are using life insurance, cash values in order to perform the functions. Sure. So we hadn't bought a car in over 30 years. They've done pretty well over the time. They bought me three airplanes down through the years. (laughs) Only three. Only three, yeah. (laughs) Did they give you a deal on those? It was a good deal for them. (laughs) (laughs) 
So you bought cars from him. You bought airplanes from him. What, yeah. what other sort of family deals have you done? Well, uh, back in 1993, we uh, sold our house. It's three stories. We got a contract with Barry for that bottom floor. That was the world headquarters of Infinite Banking Concepts, plus the garages, plus the parking area. And he had a contract with his mother for the other two stories, and he was rather generous to her for some reason or another. <laughs> now, Barry got out of the military in night shucks, 2004, and uh, set up family practice in Knoxville, Tennessee. He was down visiting one time uh, and walked in the garage, and he saw all these stacks of cases of books. So he came back in the office and says, Dad, what's all these things in the garage here? I son, I sell books. That's where I keep my inventory. He says, Dad, that's not part of the deal. You need to be paying me rent on that. So he went up on the uh, rent $200 a month. Meanest kid you ever seen in your life. <laughs> He's ruthless. Yeah. By the way, so this is money that's now having to come out of your pocket. You're giving it to your son, Barry. Uh, that's the business expense for me. That's a business expense. And at some point in time, Barry was going to get everything anyway. I guess it made sense for him to get it now. Yeah, works out that way. <laughs> it does work out that way. Yeah. So we've bought cars. We've bought airplanes. We've been renting our house from our kids. You mentioned some bad in there. Tell me some good in there. Well, I haven't found it. Because <laughs> it's just like the uh, black community uh, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, except on a minuscule scale, as far as we're concerned. But you see, uh, what's uh, significant about it is that other people are doing this. It's a gigantic community. Right. The tragedy is that the life insurance companies have not recognized this. But yet, at the think tank session back here in February, one of the uh, middle management folks clearly sees and stated so that policy loans is the best investment life insurance companies can make. 100% clear. Totally, yes. <laughs> and everything else out there requires uh, overhead to administer, but it takes practically none to administer a policy loan. But you see, the thing about it is the fundamental thinking of people. They can't conceive of being a uh, customer of a bank as well as being the owner of a bank. You're playing two roles. So that's why I devised the grocery store back at the uh, get-go of putting this 40 hour five-session seminar together. That ideally, it should be put on Two hours a time over a five-week period of time, each each of the lessons should uh, ruminate right. to get it, the thinking straight. That's all. If you could flip a switch to change people's thinking, it would be different, but it can't be done. Right. Well, and Nelson, so you, you mentioned the way people think was a potential hurdle that you had to get over within your yes. family. What else was a challenge that you met along the way as you were trying to implement this with your family? Same as same. Same as same. Our kids have gone to government schools, and they don't teach. They indoctrinate. Mm -hmm. They put limits on your thinking. And so you're sitting there trying to explain to your kids and grandkids why this makes good sense to do the family banking, and, and you're pushing back against mm -hmm. ideas and limitations that they have. 
Banking should be totally at the you and me level through free contract with other free people, and uh, that meets the definition of life insurance. That's all there is to it. All right. Now, I have it's a, that ridiculously simple. I have a, a practical question. Okay, say so something. You <laughs> you have obviously bought policies on your own life, on Mary's life, and then subsequently on kids. And then we you've already told us how you buy them on grandkids and now great grandkids. Right. Walk walk us through how that looks practically, so that people have an idea of what that what that looks like. Well, every time a grandchild was born, well, we would crank up a $2,000 annual premium, high premium, low death benefit, relatively speaking. But you see, that's antithetical to the way that people think about the word insurance. When you want to buy insurance on your automobile, Joey, what do you want to do? You want to pay as little as you can and get as much protection for that little bit outlay. Uh, Russ, when you want to buy insurance on your house, what do you want, sir? Yeah. Lowest premium, highest benefit. Well, life insurance, whole life insurance is exactly opposite to that. Life insurance really started out from that derivation of uh, the concept of insurance. And uh, logic tells you that it was all term insurance. Well, life is not if, it's when. Right. See, everything else out there that goes in the form of insurance, if something happens during a time frame, that you would suffer loss so, or somebody would be affected detrimentally. So if you examine what really happened out there over the years, whole life in, insurance was created by consumers. They saw that that was a ripoff. And so life insurance says, well, well you know, if we up the premium, say, uh, four or five times what term insurance would be, then we can put that extra money to work out there and we can always have a death benefit. And of all things, they call the product whole life insurance. But no, the characteristics of it change drastically. This is why classification becomes so important. It's a totally different idea from insurance, but yet the word stuck. So what would you more classify it as? I'd classify it as a personal monetary system with a death benefit thrown in on the side just for the heck of it. <laughs> a personal <laughs> monetary system with a death benefit thrown in just for the heck of it. Yeah, so that's a rather like that long name. Better. Yeah, that, that's tough. We'd have to shorten we'd, that. We'd have to have an acronym of some kind. <laughs> but we'd be much more accurate, and we wouldn't have all this nonsense that's going on out there. Because people are mis- labeling it, thinking yes. of it the same way they think of car insurance, homeowners sure. insurance, health insurance, all these things. Yeah. Okay. Now yeah. I, have, I have another question. Go. Someone is listening and saying, this all sounds great. And I understand, okay, there's a, a pathway to do this, but what is that going to look like right now? Here and now you've talked about financing cars or leasing them from your family, businesses, these kind of things you've mentioned, airplane. What about generations from now? What does this practically look like for the Nash family? You're now, you know, the first person to put this in place in your family. Give us an idea of what that looks like for us. Therein is where lies the problem. We have three children, and I think all three have got on pretty good. Some better than others, naturally. That's just the story of life. But we got 10 grands out there now. I wonder... 
how much they've caught on, and I've got to measure that as much as I can to see how well are they catching on. And, of course, the great-grands, they're too young to even consider talking about it. But uh, you can give them little lessons here and there like you're doing with your kids and so forth, Russ. But we cannot control the minds of uh, future generations, and we've got to also consider how are they influenced by the world. That's always a problem. It's been that kind of problem since day one. But are their parents teaching them? Are they starting to share with them? Well, I can't control the minds of uh, my children or grandchildren or great-grandchildren. But you can, uh, you know, do your best and hope that it takes, and that's about it. Well, it's this way. Years ago, you know, I've done seminars all the United States and Canada, but I think I've only been to Atlanta three times. <laughs> we had a whole lot of folks over in Atlanta. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be hearing this. Well, one of the early ones was in the early times that I was doing these uh, seminars. There's a young man in that group. I talk about this intergenerational stuff. Says, how many uh, grandchildren you have at that time? I said, 10. He says, you got to face it, at least one or two is going to go astray. Well, you know, I don't like that. No, uh, who likes to hear that? No. I don't like that, but I can't do anything about it. Well, I guess we can't do anything about it, but we can at least put out the groundwork, right? Yes, yeah. I mean, obviously, you wrote a great textbook on the subject, and you've been teaching it diligently to them. And I know I see your granddaughters at our think tanks. I know it's it's filtering (laughs) and getting down the way. So here's one of the things that as we kind of start to wrap up, I want to just think through how though this is impacting and changing their lives. You've already mentioned the fact that they never have to see a bank, that they can borrow money within the family. There's plenty enough in there. What are some other benefits outside of that that you see that are transforming their life over the next uh, several years? Learning how to think differently from the way the world thinks, that's the most important part of all. Because if they get that part down, there's a saying in your book that if you know what's happening, you know what to do. Yeah, exactly. That is a fantastic statement that needs to be examined and ruminated on. (laughs) How about if they don't? What do you see happening? I don't like to think about it. I know. (laughs) Because it's not good. You know, getting influenced by that nonsense out there. They've got to be able to recognize nonsense and dispense with it. Again, you can, the human mind can't think of two different things at the same time. It's impossible. It's really easy to be distracted. I mean, as we get sure. bombarded with marketing material from Willie Wall Street, it's always trying to tell us, hey, pff, borrow money over here. We got 0% interest and you can put your money over here in this investment account, which we're earning 10, 12%. I mean, we can't tell you we were earning any more than that because that's illegal, but I mean, we really are, right? It's easy to get caught up in that nonsense that you speak of. Sure, but you got to be able to recognize it. Well, Nelson, this is so, I love learning and I know our audience listening to you just going through just basics that you've done in your family, because we're we're trying to learn. And, and as you said, we don't have control over those outcomes, exactly how it's going to turn out, but we can at least put the best foot forward. And by starting and implementing these plans within our family, at least gives our kids and grandkids the best chance. It doesn't mean, like you said, there's a couple that will go astray, but at the end of the day, I would rather have put forth the situation than advocating it to someone else to try to do it for me. 
Well, and, and what you've taught us just in this few minutes here is, is putting more meat on the bone for our episode 15. We talked about family banking. So this is giving people more to kind of digest practically how it works, but also conceptually. And I'm just very grateful that you're willing to do that and to share your experiences, good, bad, ugly, and how we can start to What'd you call from, me again? Do I? <laughs> I didn't call oh. you good, bad, or ugly, but his experiences. And here's the deal. We're really trying to bring families from a position of passiveness and siloed. We talked about that, keeping people at arm's length in the family and bringing them together to do exactly what you taught us about keeping the money in the family like the Rockefellers. And now we can say like the Nashes. So thank you again, Nelson. It's been a pleasure. And I hope you'll come back and share with us again. And for everyone who's listening, please go to the show notes. We want you to get copies of the different things that we've talked about on this episode. And we look forward to having you in next time. This has been the Wealth Without Wall Street podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show to break free of the Wall Street mindset and begin building wealth on your own terms in places you understand so that your wealth will never run dry. See you next episode.